Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a periodic discussion with guests from around the But Why Though writing community brought together under one roof to discuss the latest happenings in the nerd pop culture community. My name is Aaron, and today I'm joined by the queen of all things spooky, Kate, and everyone's favorite mad scientist, Matt. I came up with something interesting your for you intros. this week, Matt. I was like, yeah, your intros are getting better. Hello, everybody. Yeah, we had to give Aaron some uh, intro props there. I was going to say, after last after last episode, I, I got some heat for it, so I ch- decided to change it up a little bit. <laughs> well, hello, folks. Welcome to the episode. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about some of the latest news that caught our eye, uh, including Netflix officially launching an ad-supported tier, and Blade not only losing its director, but also being on delay. Uh, we'll get into that one. Uh, our weekly topic covers an Alan Moore interview in The Guardian where he discusses a great length about the danger of superhero stories and how he's ready to put them all in the trash. And lastly, Kate, Matt, and myself will give some thoughts on some of the great things that we've been watching lately. All right, so let's dive in to our topics this week. And we can start with Netflix introducing their ad tier system. So as of November... Netflix will be introducing this ad tier for $6.99 a month, the lowest tier to date. Matt, thoughts? I know you've got them. Oh, I mean, obviously, anybody who's ever listened to the show or even any of our other shows or anything knows that we Netflix content, well, I hate it all. Um, I know why they had to do it. Um, I bl- We'll get into blaming people. Um, I'm always for this at the time. I'm, I'm not surprised, sadly. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that is going to be a surprise that we will know, as much as a six ninety nine is apparently only seven twenty p. Which is yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand if you didn't do the four K, but you couldn't do ten eighty now. Come on now. I was gonna say that's a really like diving quality that you. Oh yeah, that's like I mean I know when you start getting past like the ten eighty, you know it's like do you wear glasses or how good's your TV? Whether you can matter, like <laughs> do you have the five K TV? Like I can't tell the difference, but well seven twenty like, too is like that affects aspect ratio. Like if you oh, yeah. have like a little itty bitty ra- er, like seven twenty to like contextualize for people who don't know like specs of screens and stuff. You know how when you go get like a little tiny computer and the screen looks really weird and none of the websites are like loading how they should that's because they're reducing their size to 720p (laughs) Um, it actually affects the the way things look and because everything now is shot traditionally for 1080 and above it may be great to watch some Columbo. It's not going to be great to watch much else. Props, props for the Discord drop there. <laughs> but yeah, no, this this is crazy. I mean, like to your point, Matt. I mean, I, I get why they're bringing it in. I mean, investors love ad tier, and I think you and I were talking earlier in the week that I think Netflix's stock actually took a bump. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's up about, like, I mean, obviously, stocks in general have been down up. I think that one jumped up at the announcement about, like, I don't know, 15 bucks, so probably about almost 10%, for, give or take. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of ad money coming in there as well. So, I mean, I, I get why they did it, and, you know, Netflix hasn't been in the best shape lately. I mean, their stocks have been taking quite the plunge and quite the beating over yeah, the last couple Yeah, I mean, of obviously, it's all mainly imaginary fake stuff of just like hey we only got this many subscribers but it wasn't our imaginary number i'm not surprised they did it but it was sad a little bit listening to like 
when they um, first announced it, like the founders of Netflix and everything, because one of the things of why they founded Netflix, obviously to compete with Blockbuster, was they wanted, they loved the binge model. They loved the no ads. Like, we wanted to be better than cable TV. We wanted to compete at that level. We wanted to be consumer friendly. And I think that's been the saddest part for, like, Netflix for the past few years of, like, they wanted people to share their passwords. Now they're going to start charging you for that. They wanted people to share stuff. They wanted you to be able to have everything at your fingertips. They wanted you to be able to, you know, not have to worry about ads. Because, I mean, to be fair, those are probably the three biggest things you talk about of, like, doing it. And I think it just sucks that, like, unfortunately, they've been pushed to that brink. And while I understand for investors and everything, it, it sucks because... You want to say it's healthy for... This is part of the part where we get into the competition of like, competition helps everybody. And I'm like, not really. Right now, competition's killing us. Because essentially what happened was we had, between all the other services, um, you know, Hulu with their ads, they've always had the most horrible consumer um, rating because of their ads. And then basically, to be honest, I mean, back to the thing, everybody learned that, guess what? Everybody will buy Disney Plus for ads and nobody will care. (laughs) And then, you know, but now you look at it and there's, you know, and even YouTube, like people buy YouTube. So now it's like, oh, there's YouTube. Now there's Twitch. Now there's Hulu. There's, you know, Paramount. I think even Peacock has an ad service or something and all this stuff. So it was like, at this point, Netflix was literally the only one without. And so in a weird, sad, capitalistic way to compete, now they have to be anti-consumer. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's sad. It's, it's strange. Kate, what are your thoughts? That's what it always comes into is like competition and capitalism is great until you realize, oh, crap, that means I don't get good things because it's about the bottom dollar. And whereas like ads like an ad, it's funny because everybody was kind of like, oh, I hate this. Netflix shouldn't be doing this. And like, but you literally supported all of these other people who have been doing this and you praise them for having a cheaper subscription for you. And so it's kind of like. I think Netflix being the foundation of streaming helped it get through a lot without changing and allowed it to kind of grow exponentially like year over year. But now with so many streamers up like that, like Matt said, like that competition has literally built bred into something that is anti-consumer at the end of the day. Yeah, it's crazy. Like part of me is kind of like, oh, well, you know, at least it kind of creates a level of accessibility for people because it's a cheaper price. But then I was like, that's how Netflix started. You know, like their base price used to be kind of that low. My my years first ago. Netflix subscription that I've had for like almost over a decade now was six ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like it started that way, and as they've gone, you know, more into the original programming and just expanded. Well, that that's whole I monster. mean the sad part. I mean the whole sad part out of all of this, including even the other streaming services, is. What are where's all this money going? Why is it, we talked about this on the other shows? Why why are episode twenty million dollars? Why yeah. is it like a six episode season is all of a sudden like five hundred million dollars? And I mean, obviously money laundering, as we said before, but like <laughs> it's very much of like the cost and everything. And I don't know where they're going or what's going on and everything else. Because sad part is we learned a lot of people aren't even actually getting paid, so I don't know where the hell all this money's going. Um, but no, it, like it's the cost and. Sad part is that I like Netflix original content for the most part. I'm not going to lie. Some of the most recent ones have definitely been hit or miss. I think their content has definitely taken a hit in the last year and a half. And I think the worst part is I didn't even care about a lot of that because I just like because they got a lot of international content. Yeah. 
but they're not even getting that anymore, especially since the but pandemic. I think that, like that's the other thing too is like I think when you like look about it, like Netflix, I think expanded its model in two ways that I don't want to say was unsustainable, but was like almost unsustainable, and that was like they relied like like heavily on either producing their own shows with a lot of money or buying the licensing rights for the United States from things that were traditionally not licensed in the United States. Like, if you look at a lot of the anime uh, and, like, Korean drama deals that they did, like, initially, like, those came at a very pretty penny because of what they were getting access to, um, especially given, like, the players in the field for those things. So it's one of those things where, like, I think that they've done a great job of solidifying themselves. But now, and I'm using K-dramas as an example, like, <laughs> Disney just bought all of the bts concert streaming rights and in the soup which is like the reality tv show with them and hulu debuted uh three new k-dramas like full-length k-dramas uh that were hulu originals on the 12th so it's one of these things where like everybody has seen what netflix has done is doing it and now it's kind of like okay well the money was already going to these places what do we do now and how do we stay competitive which is lower Let's move into our next section. Uh, I'm talking about Blade. Obviously, uh, we are all very excited to see Blade in the MCU. Excited to see what Mahashal Ali is going to do. But I would like to rephrase that. I'm not excited to see Blade in the MCU. I'm excited to get Blade, and I hope that the MCU doesn't ruin him. However, Marshall Ali could be an amazing Blade, and I am 100% for him being Blade, and I want to see what he can do, but I'm not ex I'm not excited <laughs> for Blade in the MCU. I'm excited for more Blade. I mean, I'm throwing my tangent in of I was, and then I watched Moon Knight, and now I'm not, but then we'll get full circle when we get to this. Go. Well, that segues somewhat nicely into the fact that <laughs> <laughs> Blade, strong feelings, strong, strong feelings, feelings, strong, strong feelings. feelings. Blade has recently lost its director and is now being delayed uh, by about a year, just shy of a year, um, which apparently has very much pissed off uh, Mahershala Ali. Um, so they obviously parted ways with uh, Basim Tariq. Uh, the movie was originally set to start production in November, this November, and it was going to release next year. Uh, it's now being pushed back to September 24, and they still don't have a director. So there has been some rumors. I think uh, Chad Stelaski uh, of John Wick, I think, said he'd, he was interested, I believe, Kate. Yeah, he said that he'd been begging to make one, but they would not greenlight it. Uh, but we have recently had more rumors that Moonwriter um, Bo DeMeo might be taken over to completely rewrite the script of uh, Moon Knight Rider. Thank you. Not Moon Rider. Is that what I said? So I also yes. want to know. So, like, I am curious though, because it says Moon Knight Rider, right? Yes. In what capacity? I don't know. Because like Mohamed Diab, or... Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead were the directors on the episodes who influenced the writing. Daniel Iman and, um, what do you call it? Uh, Alex Menahan were also on a lot of the episodes. And then Peter Cameron and Sabir Prasada were also on there. And oh, here we go. Bo DeMeo wrote one teleplay. For one episode. Well, apparently he also no, he's just leading the overhaul of this whole thing from what we got. Apparently, I was gonna say, do you think do you think he could have presented a, a pitch maybe that they liked? 
Maybe. I mean, he. so he's been involved in, like, other... Oh, he wrote on The Witcher and Star Trek New Worlds. He's also apparently doing the X-Men 97, 97 yeah. stuff is what he's also Which isn't, like... I, I totally don't say that to, like, shit on Bo DeMay. I'm pretty sure he's a nice man or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, like, I feel like the reason that that's the headline is because they're trying to get people, like, hyped for this and not lose it. And I'm like, I... That made it worse for You're me. You're losing me. Yeah. yeah so yeah, you can talk about why. So yeah, no. So the big thing, uh, one, the fact that this has to be rewritten from scratch is ho- kind of hilarious but sad. Masha Ali, as we said, is very mad because apparently, according to him, they did this whole entire movie and there were two fight sequences and I was like, oh my gosh, that is awful. Um, it sounded completely like production sounded like terrible. The script just sounded awful and he was very unhappy, which why they parted. But I'm just kind of like. Going from Moon Knight, and then obviously whether, well, you know, like the headline of getting Moon Knight thing, where I thought I was going to get Moon Knight just killing everybody, and I got, I don't know what the hell I got. Um, it's nap time. You got cuts to black. Yeah. Kills everybody in, in, oh, in the such a screen, combo. and then you get it back. Yeah, yeah. And then hearing this, I was like, oh no, this sounds bad. But but I guess the worst part of all this, or crazy part about all this, I don't even know worse at this point, is that it was so bad that they literally just stopped production and said, screw it, we're just not doing this right now, and we're going to wait two years. Well, and it's crazy, because if you stop and think about it, I mean, he was announced as Blade back, I want to say it was San Diego Comic-Con 2019. It's I think it's 2019. It's either 2019 or one of the 2020 yeah. like, at-home things. They've been doing this for like a long time. This this is... And I, I get like COVID stalled a lot. Like, it, you know, it really did put a spanner in the works for a lot of different things. But like, no one's got like any idea. Like nothing. I mean, like, from what the, I got was apparently time? it was a back and forth for three years until he finally said, I just, I quit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know exactly what we don't know, just reports, but basically what we got on that was he's very, like, either you're going to rewrite all this stuff or I'm just not going to be played, is what I got out of that. Well, I know, I know um, there was a conversation in the Discord earlier this week, and uh, which Kate put forward. Discord.gg slash but why, though? It's like pressing a button. It's awesome. Um, Kate put something forward on uh, in our Discord. Now, Kate, did you see it rumored on Twitter? Yeah, it was so it was said that Chad Stileski had talked with or had been begging Feggy to come in and direct. Um, and so like the thing is, is like one of the reasons why I really want Ali to be Blade is because he has been wanting to do action so badly. This man is a phenomenal like uh, dramatic actor. But I think Alita kind of showed us all like how well he does in sci-fi and he's been wanting to do more. and. One of the things that frustrates me is even from, like, the first Blade and every iteration you can think of, like, Blade is action. He's action, and he's horror, and he's deep, and he's dark. And it is just such a disservice to see, like, know that there were only two fight scenes. Um, But, like, the Chad Stilisky, if Chad Stilisky comes and asks, if Stilisky comes and asks to direct one of your movies for one of the most action heavy characters you can think of i feel like you should say yes because him and keanu like gave us the action renaissance in the west that we have not had in a long time well i was gonna say sword he uses swords yeah like it's perfect well I i was gonna say and the crazy thing is marvel's been courting keanu for a while so if you want Keanu in the door, there's your 
like you're yeah. stick it in. Can you like? Oh my god! If you had because Stileski and Keanu are very close. If you brought in Chad and then you were like, "Hey, Mahershala is Blade. Well, we need a big baddie vampire. Keanu, do you want to be Dracula? You've been Jonathan Harker. You can be Dracula. Do you want to do that here? Keanu Dracula. Like, it it writes I'm itself. In. It writes itself. <laughs> and and obviously this is a pipe dream, but I do think that like what all of this has done is like it showcased to me that my fears were warranted for blade yeah well thank you both for your opinions on our topic one news of the week segment but now it's time to dive in on quite a big topic that you know we've been talking about a little bit offline and we're kind of it's a bit of a heavier one but i think that we've got some really good talking points so Earlier in this week, uh, Alan Moore gave an interview uh, with The Guardian. Uh, we're going to kind of pull a few quotes and then uh, get deeper into the discussion around this. So Alan Moore started with his Guardian interviews. So, Kate, if you could start reading the quote. Alan Moore says, I said around about 2011 that I thought that it had serious and worrying implications for the future of millions of adults we're queuing up to see Batman movies because that kind of infantilization, that urge towards simpler times, simpler realities, that can often be a precursor to fascism. And Superman, the creation of a working class Jewish kids, was originally a very much an, a New Deal American, but he got co-opted just as the early spiky and anarchic Mickey Mouse was very quickly modified into a suburbanite who wore short sleeve shirts and has two nephews. So I think like the big thing here and, and some of the stuff that people took issue with was that Alan Moore's comments very specifically call out that the push towards simplification of ideas, the simplification of good and evil leads to fascism. When you, when you, when you flatten everything down into a simpler reality, it is good versus evil, us versus them. And it leads like that is a very easy nationalist point to make with media. Um, and a lot of the pushback that this very specific quote got and, and this interview got more widely was that, well, it's about who writes them. And it's like, well, Alan Moore would agree. <laughs> I would agree. Sure, everybody here would agree that, like, the people in Comicsgate making those comics are actively pushing towards fascism and other people aren't. But the larger thing here that... I think Alan Moore is getting at, and obviously this is this is our reading of it. And as somebody who like worked in comics history for a while, like when I was in my PhD, I was very specifically looking at the way comics developed into giving readers ideas of morality and the other. So if you think about American comic books, it's actually a very uniquely American thing that has been adapted by different cultures. And I know that that's not, that's not saying like that. <laughs> manga is not like a graphic novel or a comic everybody like uses art to tell stories when i say western american comics we're talking about the superhero myth so you can map superheroes and heroes in any form hero in and of itself is a concept that is the tale as old as time gods were heroes gods made heroes but in american comics you ended up with characters that, like Ellen Moore comments, like came from this push away from fascism, from Jewish kids looking to write, you know, things that you could map everybody into. And uh, Kirby and Lee talked about this a lot. Um, the original 
creators of a lot of our golden age talked about it. But what very clearly happened is when you present a mythological structure that is good versus evil, which is what a superhero story is. You have a hero, you have a villain. One is good, one is bad. There isn't any room for gray, especially in the early pieces. It very quickly got pulled into propaganda, whether it was just nationalist propaganda in racist depictions of other nationalities and races, which happened all of the time. Like, it is not great. Marvel and DC both did this. Um, all the way to actually having heroes represent different, I the different ideas of war. And all of that was to bolster up the American ideals. Um, the reason this is important is because when you're building a mythology, your entire purpose is to tell people, and, and in comics very specifically, it didn't start out as an adult genre. It started out as a way to tell kids stories, to teach them about the world and to teach them about the differences in morality. That is what all myth does. It gets adapted and changes as people grow out of it, but that's where it starts. And when you look at the history of, of both Marvel, DC, and probably just superhero, like superhero comics in general, if you look at the spikes of where there is geopolitical conflict and geopolitical changes, you're going to see that reflected in your comic books. So what Alan Moore is saying is that when you push towards wanting simpler times, when you push towards wanting simpler, simple, simpler realities, it begins to create that cavern that fascism and nationalism can really spread. It's one of the reasons that comics have been such a great way to push propaganda. If you want to look at a recent, like a more recent example, just look at everything that happened post 9-11. The comics, everything was dedicated to it. All of it was anti-immigrant. All of it was see something, say something. All of it was finding a way to, you know, capture the quote unquote terrorist and when I was working in comics, like my entire job was to map out how America saw the other, very specifically Muslims, in comic books and how it taught other people to see them. And that happens with everything. It happens in the Cold War. It happens, I mean, it's something that we've talked about already with, um, not us, but like people have talked about with Sabra being adapted. Like she's a Zionist Israeli soldier who like is very actively racist towards Palestinians. Like these are all things that creators felt and then pushed in the frame of this is good, this is bad. And when you keep pushing for stuff to be clear and cut and dry, that's where you get. I don't necessarily think like the current way we view Batman is a good way to like kind of like look at it through. But for me, the core of what he's saying is like, we have everybody lining up and like just chomping at the bits for more superhero stories. But they don't want, they don't necessarily want the superhero stories that are doing these deep investigations of issues, of conflict, of investigating like the morally gray pieces. It's why when the MCU like came together and took in all of its stuff, it axed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it axed all of the Marvel shows. Like it is trying to simplify a lot of issues. And presented in a palpable way. And that simplification opens the door for propaganda. And I think that that's something that needs to be really understood. And it's not saying that that is inherent. Or that every comic does that. Or that every superhero does that. But fans interpret it that way. Well, doesn't I mean, it doesn't mean every creator even attends to do exactly. that. Exactly. And that's what, what yeah. I think where we get some of the 
misconstruing of this of like to say oh because like some of this was just like you know sometimes it is like we need to change the writer we could get better but a lot of times or i don't know a lot or whatever like it, just because you switch the writer doesn't mean you're going to get any difference a lot of times because it very much as much as it is the writer imprint things it is what we've learned over years is what the fans take from it and so yeah. i don't i don't know it's i think it's weird from the propaganda standpoint because like, all the most popular superheroes I think of, for the most part, I mean, we get different now, but, like, I just never liked, because I always knew their propaganda. Like, people always like, why, I think Superman's... You weren't, you weren't wearing Captain America's shield? I hate Captain America. <laughs> like, and the funny thing is, there's some stuff that's good about Captain America now, people are like, oh, how do you do that? And I'm like, because 40 years, Captain America was literally just propaganda stuff. Like, I'm glad they, like, happened Literally to be able to change. patriotism, like, Yeah, like, they, like, and that's the thing of, like, they have made some changes for better, and we kind of get this, you know, some of the, like, rebel, whatever you want to call it, Captain America, which is great, and people have kind of really got on that, and, like, you just don't understand. I'm like, no, I'm sorry that I didn't ignore 50 years or whatever of Captain America, or Superman as a way of two, of just, like, people think, like, Superman's just a great way to hope. Like, yeah, he's also literally just straight propaganda. Well, and that's, like, and I think Superman is, like, one of the best examples, because when he was created, he wasn't, like, necessarily the ubermensch, like, quote-unquote, because he was, he was made to be the idea of somebody who was great and perfect and had all these powers and was better than other humans, but was still a good person, because that went directly against, like, what the Nazis did when they thought about that concept. And somewhere along the way he got more Nazi-y and they had to like do stuff to get away from the Ubermensch idea. But like that is like, it's really crazy when you stop and think about it because like it is about who writes it, but it's also what's going on at the time. But I think more importantly, it's about who reads it because there are people who read Captain America. Okay, there are people who read Captain America in Civil War and see that he is staunchly against the government invading and taking away people's rights based on an assumption of what they could do in the future, right? Yeah. And you're like, yes, it is Captain America pushing back against the U.S. government. This is good. If you're a leftist, you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. The U.S. government sucks. But if you're some, like, alt-right bag, you're also like, oh, yeah, the U.S. government sucks. He's standing up against them. I don't want to get my vaccine. Like, it is... What the fans can do from one perspective, they make the myth. So, like, you put the myth out there, which the superhero myth in America is what we have. People become superheroes. Superheroes take care of us. Superheroes fight the bad guys. If you refuse to believe that you are a part of the people being critiqued, you will then think the person is talking about you. Or the hero is representing you. Well, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, Alan Moore, like, you know even within this article says like, you know, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I put out something like Watchmen, like put out the story, not realizing, but once you let go of that creation and it goes into the world, you can't stop how it's then kind of manipulated or perceived by others. And everyone's going to perceive themselves as the hero of their own story. Yeah. Which kind of, I guess we can get into reading the second part of this quote here or the second sec like main quote of this stuff of like as we, before we dive completely and forget this of kind of like some of the problems of how we get to this fan thing. Yeah. Uh so Elamore said, uh hundreds of thousands of adults are lining up to see characters and situations that have been created to entertain 12-year-old boys. Um and yes, it was always boys of 50 years ago. 
I didn't really think that superheroes were adult fare. I think that this was a misunderstanding born out of what happened in the 1980s, to which I must put my hand up to a considerable share of the blame, though it was not intentional, when things like Watchmen were first appearing. There were an awful lot of headlines saying comics have grown up. I tend to think that, no, comics hadn't grown up. There were a few titles that, that had that were more adult than people were used to, but the majority of comic titles were pretty much the same as they had ever been. It wasn't comics growing up. I think it was more comics meeting the emotional age of the audience along the way. Which kind of goes to what we were saying about like what the fan takeaway versus what the creator actually writes, which I think is what some people kind of always forget a lot of times. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that like, we, um, I'm sure we all agree, like comics and superheroes aren't just for kids. Like yeah. Batman Damned isn't for kids. <laughs> but they're like, these are characters that were initially made for kids. And while they've been adapted over time, to Alan Moore's point, they've kind of risen to meet the things that we want. And a lot of that was because the kids who were reading Golden Age grew up in the 80s and started getting writing contracts and wrote the stuff that they wanted to see at that age. And I think that, like, comics is this very interesting phenomenon where, like, the people who were reading comics back then are still alive today. Like, this is, like, the growth of comics is one, is it, it's a whole generation. It's yeah. one lifespan as of right now. And that's interesting because you end up with the changes that happen, the notes that happen. And then I think the way the MCU is replicating the same cycle. Yeah. I mean, before we get into that, I do want to talk about like, I just have a problem with like, as we talked about the storytelling of these comics of like for children and the simpler and, or even just like the, the dynamic of hero villain and like, and at the end of the day, I don't think comics are necessarily always made for kids, blah, blah, blah. But I do think trying to adapt some of this stuff to older audiences, like, one, you know more about quote-unquote reality. You know more yeah. critical thinking skills. Like, the other problem was, back to Superman again, of, like, when you start applying physics and you start applying reality and you start applying stuff, you're like, one, this man is definitely making people work a lot harder than they need to. Why can't he just do something? <laughs> And then you have the other end of like, man, this man is doing absolutely nothing to help the world for being as powerful as he is. Why is Superman standing in a picket line with yes. a sign? Yes. Oh, yeah. Just he actively the do something. Yes. Like, <laughs> congratulations, man. If only he had the power to stop these oil rigs. Yeah. I and do it the was... human thing. And then, and so I think, and, I, and that's where we get this weird problem, I think, at least from my interpretation of some of the stuff when it comes to the kids' things. I'm like, I understand they have more quote-unquote adult theme but you are still getting this very problematic of like hero versus villain simplicity that just and yeah. even like i said critical thinking things that just as a kid you're like yeah superman's helping us and then as an adult you realize superman's not doing shit and so and so and then it breaks down and so then all of a sudden you have to adapt superman so what can superman do to then meet like you said the audience and then we get and then i mean i guess from what we've from what I've been to, like hear from everybody else, the best Superman stories are when he's like off planet fighting like giant war stuff, not when he's on Earth because when he's on Earth he's not doing anything to help the actual human race. Well, and I think like the larger thing that this like points to too is like I think when we look at like the history of superheroes, the best like the superheroes for adults are the superheroes who were literally created for adults. Punisher Correct. was yes. never meant to be read by kids. Yes, Moon Knight never meant to be read by kids. 
Blade, never meant to be read by kids. Like they were part of like the Marvel Max line. And they're like DC has its black label. Like they're and and while black label like takes existing heroes and puts them into darker situations that are more mature, a lot of the like a lot of those aren't canon. Because at the end of the day, you have to keep your superhero, your mainline superhero, has to stay consistently accessible to everybody. And like I'm sorry, when you say everybody, all ages means that you are going to have to heavily favor children because there is a piece that if you miss it, the kids are never going to get in on it. They haven't had the life experience or parents don't want the kids to hear it or see it. And so like when we, and I think all ages content is extremely important. I think all ages horror is extremely important. I think, I think all ages, like kids are smarter than we give them credit for. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they are interpreting stories about morality and good and bad the same way that adults are. Because by the time we're reading them as adults, like I like The Punisher because I think that it is great to see somebody finally taking down people who get away with stuff in the existing, like decrepit criminal justice system, right? Like (laughs) I enjoy that. Um, I like a Batman who doesn't like cops because I've like, I know that like cops are bad, like 99.9% of the time, but like a child who's interpreting the way that we see the world in good and evil or good at good, bad, there is no gray. There isn't a life of experience to show them that that isn't, that's how it should be most of the time. And like, I'm also saying this is like a kid who grew up in like one of the poorest parts of San Antonio, like childhood and innocence is not the same for everybody but when you're creating media for it there is a space where you have to recognize because like when a kid is going through something bad like they want a hero to see and see that goodness um and i i don't know like i don't like when we talk about stuff being just for kids because it often gets wedged as like a defense like you were talking about something i like and you're giving negative you're giving a negative view on it now i'm gonna say it's for kids so it doesn't matter but then i'm gonna come back and say this isn't just for kids everybody can like it and everybody should like it and adults can engage in it's like okay well you gotta like you gotta pick and you gotta understand like the nuance and all of it well the funny i was gonna say that's where like i think some of this is like blurred the line with the interconnectivity of it all like the machine of it all like it's kind of like when you make it for everyone and then you're, you're trying to pivot with certain things like Kids aren't going to see that. They just see, like, this is Marvel now. Like, it's for me. I can go watch it. And I think that that's the other issue, too, is I think right now, as everything's been developing, the audience sample has changed. And because it is everything has to be for everyone all of the time, and I say this from an age demographic perspective, if a five-year-old has to watch that, has to be able to watch this, and the 40-year-old has to, be watch, has to watch this, and the 30-year-old has to be able to watch this, you have to give the broadest of messages in the broadest of strokes in the least offensive of ways and in the most accessible of ways. And a lot of that pushes back to what the first quote that we started off with Alan Moore, things get simplified and they get simplified to a space where they're really not saying anything. Like they throw it in, but they don't make a decision. And it actually reminds me of that that gun episode of Arrow, where like oh, we gosh. don't know what happened. We don't know if the guns were outlawed. Look, they or if made they a weren't. great the... compromise decision, and then Stephen Amell walked outside with his suit on, going, "We did it with a pin." Yeah, it, it's it's the <laughs> lack of commitment to full investigation, and like I think it's unfair to say that like that isn't happening in superheroes with some writers. 
But broadly, superheroes are a vehicle for an easy way to tell a morality tale. That's what they always have been. And that's fine. And I'm not saying that to like diss it. Like myth making is important. It's how we set our foundations. But you have to understand that that's a medium that you're working in when your people are everybody. Well, and I I was going to say it's tough as well because, you know, to your point, like you see the same thing with like the MCU and like the Sokovia Accords. It was supposed to be this big thing. It never really got explored beyond, you know, when it was introduced it never it never really scratched the surface they gave us that. they gave us two scenes and three sentences man and then they yeah, made tony versus bucky or bucky did yeah. something bad Yeah, instead of making it uh like instead of making civil war a look at the erosion of civil rights and unjust policing uh they said bucky killed iron man's parents let's make them fight and i still love that movie but it's not the same depth that yeah. civil war was attempting to do when it, when it initially came out which kind of goes, I guess, as we kind of bring into the MCU and, like, how comics do exist in the, the adult space, quote-unquote, because right now we kind of do have more. Well, we have MCU, which is, I don't know what, what they're going of Comics proper, we have a whole bunch of adult offerings, which yes. is really nice. Yes. Um, they may be sequestered away in different labels, but they're there. <laughs> um, DC doesn't hype them up, but they're there. <laughs> Yeah, I know, like, some, with some of the adult titles, you know, like, we, you know, naturally, I think everyone's main idea, popular-wise now at the moment, would be, obviously, to lean towards the boys. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think of something like um, Invincible as well, uh, with his comics, they really tried to push the boundaries as far as, like, Mark ex- kind of exploring morality and kind of, like, scraping past, like, what is a superhero and showing, like, there's so much more a superhero can do, but like if you're just always fighting the battles, it's you're just reacting cool. as opposed to proactivity. And I think that like that's a really good example because Kirkman understood what he was doing with Invincible. Invincible is dissecting the mythology of a superhero and watching yep. somebody go from the everything is simplified, we are good because we are heroes and then there is bad and we have to fight the bad. And then realizing that that's actually not the reality of where everything is. There's a lot of gray and sometimes there's a lot of bad and he's just your father and stronger than everybody. (laughs) And it's watching that break. There's some really great future storylines where like his whole question of being becoming a superhero kind of puts him into this state of anguish where it's kind of like well if i hadn't have been here maybe i wouldn't have caused as much destruction like you see like his fight with omni man like if i hadn't gotten powers maybe this wouldn't have happened maybe my dad wouldn't have held my face through a train <laughs> i i think the invincible one was great i'm glad we brought that one up because obviously i knew we were gonna go straight for the boys I like what the boy takes on the superhero because it gives the one, obviously, the more yes. quote unquote yeah. absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, like, and I think that that's is... part of the adult thing. Like at the end of the day, like I, you, you never will convince me. We've been through yeah. this on eighty million episodes. Altruism is a lie. That if somebody got superhero powers, that's what we're getting is the boys, and that's what I believe. But even like our beacon of hope in the boys is still really selfish. Annie is really selfish. Demented. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I like Invincible Take, as you said, because it is, one, I think because it has, like we said, the breakdown stuff, and because we are, at the end of the day, we are dealing with, like, a teenager. 
versus like you know like a, like in the boys not that they don't have kids or whatever else but like it is very he's, explicitly he's got a very immature lens trying yes. to process very real like exactly big yes. well problems yeah and like, i think i would say that invincible isn't even necessarily mature so much as it's a young adult title that's like showing you how to explore the world that is actually really bad yeah which yeah. kind of you got basically they're exploring the boys of what happens now i mean I don't know. I mean, superheroes is taking over. I they're taking over. They're doing stuff. I'm glad. I don't know what we're gonna get for content wise, because I I do worry with the actual stuff because whether it is like these fan takes of like there are so many things of like you can take. We've been doing it forever, but like taking whether propaganda or just taking quotes from superheroes and you can make it take whatever way you want and. Part of that just by des- like we said by design, but the other part just I don't I don't. Know. I mean I mean I've seen it been seen it twisted with like Star Wars as well. Yeah, well also like we make jokes about it, but there are people out there who actually agree with Homelander. People people thought he was a hero, like, like that, like and and that and I don't say that like yes that that shows a lot about them, but like when you are reading a story that has good and evil, you will rarely actually put yourself into the shoes of the villain. Even if you are being directly called out, you will twist yourself into pretzels, making it so that that villain actually isn't a villain, or you will twist yourself into pretzels to say that, oh yeah, no, Captain America is actually talking about us not getting vaccines. <laughs> like, like that, like that happens, yeah. and that that is a reality. And I think what happens, and what makes it easier, actually, what makes it easier for this to happen, is when they present the moral questioning. In non in non specific terms, when they're just like this bad thing kind of happens, but we're not actually going to talk about brutality that is happening to people from at the hands of the cops. We're not actually going to yeah. talk about a housing crisis that is lit- where governments are literally saying that these people don't have a right to sleep outside. Like they will talk around it in a way that will not make anybody angry, and because of that, because you simplify it. You make it very easy for a real villain to see themselves as a hero. And I it's one of the funniest things to me because, like, I think one of the best examples is Dwayne McDuffie created Icon as a way to showcase that Black people are not a monolith and also to kind of poke fun of the people like Clarence Thomas you know who Clarence Thomas's favorite hero is? It's Icon. Because he doesn't get it. And so it's one of those things. And this isn't saying that Dwayne McDuffie wasn't very clear. He was extremely clear in everything he did. That was one of the reasons that made him really great and really pushed um, how Milestone pushed boundaries. But we don't have a lot of that anymore. And very specifically in the MCU and in the, what Marvel is doing is they're every age group has to be satisfied with the story means they're flattening things. They're simplifying things. You're not able to do the adult investigations. You don't get like the way Watchmen was brought on HBO, where it is a very, very, very big exploration of race and policing and what happens. You don't get things like the boy that is that like the boys that are looking at the way power corrupts. And if you want to just like go tongue in cheek, you don't get things like Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad, which is funny because DC and the MCU, like they are analogous in terms of big things. And while DC buries their black label comics, they're riding the wave of a, like adult viewers and having mature only audiences while the MCU is like, let's keep making things simple. 
and let's keep making it's things simpler algorithm. for it to be digested. It, it's it's Which... going through, um, Matt, I know you've called this out before, like the algorithm of the MCU's writing as far as kind of just what's selling, how can we make it hit like all audiences so everyone's satisfied so we can continue to push ticket sales. But the, but the, the thing it bugs me, thing too, like, because we talk about Mythmaker, to bring this full back in, of like, as much as we talk about storytelling being simpler times or whatever, and we talk about straight up propaganda, and because like I said, I think the problem we have with propaganda too is another thing of like, when people say propaganda, like automatically, you know, we're going to go, oh, we're just doing, you know, like propaganda for the military, which happens, still happens, we get it, it's still even part of the stuff, but... The other thing we don't necessarily see in a way, per se, is the problem I have with this is, as much as I like the boys in DC, you know, it, corporations at this point and the big people are in control of these. So it's not even like we're launching, because like, we talk about like the it's gold... It's not two Jewish kids. Yeah, it's not, we're talking about the golden age of like, it was just two guys who made some stuff. Now, now yeah, it's like it's... billion, trillion dollar companies. Right, companies. Who are like, hey, you know what? We are representing the world and the good moral myth of whatever and good and bad. Even though we're worth $10 trillion and we probably must exploit everything. And so I think that is a problem. Yeah, because in the, I, I in, completely agree. And the funny thing, if we go to the full propaganda thing, in a way, whether you want to count or not, but now it's like, oh, people are willing to now fight me over a billion dollar company. And I'm like, what? At the moment, <laughs> the, the amount of people who don't like us because we... Smack about this like I'm pretty sure people are uncomfortable with this episode, and because we don't, because we talk about this stuff, and it, like it makes people angry, or like you should just be able to enjoy it, or do all this stuff. And I'm like, you now don't realize of how, what type of you are involved in propaganda of selling. You're not trying to well, hit the military I mean, or yeah. nationalism necessarily. Give yourself room for critical thinking. And like, I, well, and I think that like that's the big thing too is like people want to treat superheroes like this holy girl that can't be touched and you can't critique it because it's for kids. You can't critique it because I like it. It's just fun. And I was like, no. If you want to acknowledge superheroes as the very pivotal piece of American myth making, like superheroes and comics are vital to capturing culture in pockets of the way that we have progressed as a country and as a society. Like they have it's why i studied it and paid a lot of money to my college to be able to write about it like they are critical to understanding how americans understand themselves and there's a lot that they can offer but if you want them to have that special place in culture if you want them to have that special place in how people think about morality if you want them to have that impact on themes that can teach people how not to be bad and when i say that like i'm talking about like going back to a lot of like comics on like anti-fascism and anti-racism and all of this if you say that they can hold those things well, guess what? You have to be able to engage in a critical discussion about those things and not get up in arms about it. And that's like that is the thing that bugs me. It it and it's something that continues, and I think it's going to keep happening because, like Matt said, like companies control the myth making now, and like comic artists and comic writers have talked about it extensively how their work gets completely mangled in editing. Whether it's having the straight pride flag on the pride in, in in the pride issue in Superman's cape, like that was a conscious choice that an editor made. Like those, like having space them up, <laughs> like those are things that are getting made because things have to be palpable, and that is where I think we miss 
the importance of not simplifying. And we miss the point that Alan Moore was making in this interview is that when you crave the simpler thing, again, I don't think Batman was a great example for this. I think Batman's a fantastic example, to be honest. Why? So Batman's a perfect example for me because one, as we talked to him at the beginning, when you first see goofy Adam West Batman, he's basically a cop. Uh, Batman's been changed. What we know him now is he's anti-cop at this point. But at the end of the day, Batman is always a hero. So whatever Batman does, whether he's a we call him a vigilante, you know, we call him like do stuff. He doesn't kill anybody, so that's cool, so that's palpable. But then he's always a hero. He breaks a lot of laws. He beats up people. I love the meme where he just somebody. Oh, I found Beating somebody. Somebody jaywalking. We yeah, got just nail. Gotham's economy is in shambles, and people are just trying to feed their families and make money. And he's like, "But you broke the law." Yeah, I'm gonna and, string you up by your feet. Right, and and Which you know what? He's probably killing people as well. Let's. Oh, he's absolutely killing. And you yeah. know what? I enjoy a lot of it. And being Batman's fascinating for it. And I and a reason part of the reason I do find it fascinating for it is because he everybody says he's a healer. He, he, yeah, hero. hero. And so that's why yeah. that's why he's good. Like if you use any other example, you don't get almost this whole like because Superman the whole thing. I never break the law. I'm Captain America. I never do that. The Punisher never considered a villain. And he kills people. Uh, Punisher is considered. <laughs> well, no, but what I'm talking about with the own story, like at the end of the day, yeah, we yeah, yeah. the hypocrisy of it, right? Yeah. Well, because well, I, I, I we still talk about... find that I still find that like the hypocrisy and like the boys, like how they centralize the villain as uh, Vought as the company, and like almost like making fun of Marvel and DC. Yeah, it's helmed by like Amazon and Prime and yeah, yeah like it's all like you you realize the. You're looking you realize in the what's happening. The, the cognitive dissonance yeah. is really crazy. Yeah. But like, so the lore. Oh, go ahead. I'll no, and that's what. That's why I think Batman is perfect because, at the end of the day, Batman does a lot of good things. Batman does a lot of a lot of bad bad things. things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Batman is always a hero. And yeah. for a lot of that's fair. for a lot of characters, you cannot say that. That's fair. That's really fair. Um, I think where I was going with it and and striking the Batman thing out of it is when you have corporations controlling myth making. The scary thing about Disney, and somebody, a religious studies professor actually said this on Twitter and got dragged, and I thought it was funny because I have made this, like, I have made the same argument for Disney. Disney controls three avenues of myth-making, like, and and three in that they are formative into how people form identities. They control sports because they own ESPN. They control comics, which is usually aimed at young boys. If you're listening, this doesn't mean saying girls don't like comics. It's me saying they're usually their target demographics, like Shonen and Shoujo. Come on. Um, and then they have the princess market. They have a fairy tale market, which is traditionally aimed at young girls. So what you're doing is you're catching three complete audiences that build that essentially build up who a person is. And the reason I include sports in there is because they have done multiple series where they have created superheroes out of an athlete and then profiled the athlete as if they were a superhero. And a company controlling each of those early stages of how we form ideas is actually really scary. And I think even scarier when you look at a company who has the deep pockets and political integration that it has had, especially in places like Florida that a lot of people like forget happened and that guy still has a job at disney it's still happening and so like that is when you step back and you think about it that's the scary thing because you can say like oh it's just a movie it's just a story but it actually isn't because when you actually talk about the kids reading this adults are going to watch it and use it to bolster whatever they think 
that's just what they're going to do. A kid reading and encountering this theme for the first time is going to set up how they view the world. You know why I really liked reading growing up? Because Belle had a really big library and it she was an outsider and I was an outsider. So outsiders read. So I read more. Like it's a very simplistic thought, but that is what got me into reading. And when you think about how you encounter different things and what you're taught is good, a mega corporation controlling it isn't good. Which the funny thing is, because we got distracted on the Batman before you went in this, and we talk about the creator stuff to go to Alan Moore even more, why he hates comics and what they've done to creators of. This dilution of storytelling, as one is it not only disservice to the creators and the stories of flattening, it's also just an excuse so you don't have to actually pay anybody. It is. It is. It is extremely an excuse so they don't have to pay anybody. <laughs> which is just straight up exploitation and everything else, yeah. which, which is once again, but as long as they tell the good myths, we're great. And I'm like, but yeah. once you lift the veil curtain, like, oh, we're just committing atrocities. Of and like, and I do want to say, like, I do want to take, like, I have talked about this a lot, like in a pretty negative light. I love superheroes. I love superhero storytelling. Like, it means a lot to me, and I obviously almost made a career out of, like, talking about it. But I think that that's why it has to be investigated, because we are at a very particular point in time where it is everywhere in a way that, like, little me never would have thought. My mom used to make fun of me for spending my allowance on comics. My mom now knows who Thanos is and calls me every time she watches a Marvel show or movie. Like, that is a really cool thing, but it also means that as these things get spread, you have to think about what they are spreading. And I think that Alan Moore's points are right, because we do have to think in tandem, not just, like, who we're writing it, but who are, who are in the editing room, <laughs> who owns it, and, like, make sure things can get cut. Because, like, we've seen that happen with MCU, where, like, directors have left because they have wanted to do a thing, and Marvel was like, no... Uh, or DC or Disney was like no or Kevin Feige was like no and you also have to think about like when you have a vehicle to push towards the simple that's fine but all it takes is one person coming in there and corrupting it and that's how you start pushing towards it's how what happens in nationalism I was I was like, gonna say that's the go check out the stories from like Ike Perlmutter yeah like some of the stuff that he drove early on with some of those Marvel films and some of the decisions they were making from from that level, like it's there, so, it's been there. So the funny thing yeah. is, we're talking about the story making and how the influence and whatever especially thing. And it's funny because we talk about that, and I don't even think in that terms of stuff of like this. Yeah. I think of in a larger even terms of like we are the good guys now. If we simple down, of we are the good guys that give you the good content and the good stuff. Yeah. And so like you all know that like hey. Look at us. We are the good guys. Well, we can do whatever we want in the capitalistic terms of like, now I don't have to pay people. Now I can support. It's bread and circuses. Yeah. Like I can tear down rainforests and campments and all this other stuff, but it doesn't matter because I'm giving you the content that you want. And now because I'm giving you this want content and I'm giving you this whole like, and then the funny thing is you talk about the good storytelling, like, hey, look, I'm even representing you in ways. Feel grateful for what I'm giving you this for representative the modern myth and while you're focused on that, we are just going to destroy everything yeah. of human things. And I it's, think it's in a almost, big terms... It's almost like a dealer. You're getting them yeah. hooked on the product. And kind of as long as you're keeping I mean, them happy, keeping them fed. And I, don't, like, don't worry about what's going on over Go there. Google all the bad stuff Disney does behind and what you have done and been caught and does. Like, it's... 
and that's it's, just, it's terrible with that. And we talked about and the funny thing we have two episodes at this point on WB and all the other stuff. And at the point, by the time this episode releases, guess what? Everybody's running to go see Black Adam. Yeah. What happened to WB? Yeah. We don't care. Yeah, and and that's the reality. Like, and I I do think that there is a space to understand that like we don't deserve like we're shackled by capitalism no matter what. Um, but we also have to understand when we say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, that becomes a way for us to let capitalism thrive in different ways. And that is never good. Um, and also like, if we want to just have the fun things, like I love a good popcorn movie. I love it. Um, we also can't just say I like it cause I'm turned my brain off. So I'm just watching it. Because that's not how these things happen. Yeah. They don't happen in a vacuum. And they can be done for good and they can be done for bad. But I think when you are so milk toast in your representation of issues and ideas, you allow the wiggle room for it to be used for both. I just think you can and have a good popcorn movie and that's fine. But at the end of the day, you can't tell me then that this means what you say it means. No, I know. And that's kind of where we fall. Like if it means like yeah. you said a lot then it has to be taken like it means a lot. And if you say exactly. it, and if you take it as like a popcorn movie, that's fine. But just If know you that- think that it is high art, have a discussion like it is high art and actually talk about what it's doing, talk about how it's being interpreted and talk about the impact that it has and where it comes from. Because I think and a lot be, of the stuff isn't fr- high art. Be, to be, be honest. open to be challenged. Be open yeah. to, to listen to other people's opinions as well because unfortunately, again, larger topic, but social media... It's always the best place to do that because it doesn't allow for nuanced conversations or people just don't want to be challenged or listen. And it's honestly the thing I miss about academia. I miss the ability to just say, well, I don't think you're right. Here's why. And then like having that. And and some people on Twitter me, oh, you're an asshole. You told me that I wasn't right. It's like, no, I don't think you're right. We can talk about it or you can yell at me and tell me that I was mean and then don't engage, which is also your prerogative. But like, there, the level to which people praise superheroes and the impact that it has on kids, the impact that it has on like settings, like if you show if if you do show representations of different things in a something as large as a Disney project, like that is actually really important on where it goes. But if you believe that, please engage the media like it has that importance. And and that that for me is what I think Alan Alan Moore consistently does. I think he does it because he's been continually screwed over by the comic industry, continually screwed over by by fans. Imagine being a raging anarchist and then having like conservative fascists <laughs> adapt your work to what they do. Like that has got to hurt as like not just a creator, but just like a human who believes in something, right? So I think that, like, there has to be the space to have this discussion and also see that, like, just because somebody is saying that your favorite thing can be used to bad, you don't say, I love this thing. It can never be used for bad. You say, oh, I didn't know that. Let's talk about it. And that, I guess, that's why we have this podcast. And if you were uncomfortable listening to this and you haven't thought about it like this, good. Happy we could have this conversation with you and, like, show, like, how, like, how we think about things like beyond just like the surface piece. And I hope you listened the whole way. I hope you got uncomfortable if you were and you like came out the other end feeling like you understood our positions more and understood like 
the very sacred space. And I say sacred, like I'm a religious studies person, like sacred as in how we put it, things on pedestals and how it influences our morality, like comics and superheroes as a myth has a sacred space in American culture. That's just a fact. I think people just need to be able to investigate it. So you made it through all this. Thank you. I have, Especially I get, if you didn't agree. Yeah. Um, I guess I have one final thought. I don't know if anybody else does thing. I, I think Kate mentioned how you still love superheroes and stuff. And I just I'm thinking about that. And I've talked about this before. Of like, I, I used to really love superheroes and enjoy superheroes. Not as much as obviously some people, whatever, have a contest. But like, to be completely honest, it's hard watching a lot of stuff now and enjoying or even liking superheroes and I know I joke about it, but my joke has been like probably one of the top five worst things that ever happened in society was superheroes got this popular because yeah. of all the effects. And it, it makes it hard. <laughs> Obviously, we just have bad to mid content, but also in general, just like the outer effects and the effects you can see from the impacts that is not just directly even within the shows that yeah. like I just can't doesn't make it enjoyable for a lot of times. No, I agree. And I don't. And it's one of those things, too, like, I don't want people to misinterpret what you're saying, because I think a lot of the time... I mean, if they that. want... I mean, they can or not, but, I mean, no, that's I just kind of how I feel and whatever it is. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think I think what comes with popularity comes with stuff being mass-produced and a lot of the times being stripped of meaning. Like, that's what happens. And so I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's cool that superheroes are everywhere, but I also think it's, like, what happens when, like, you get something that is really good, and then they're like, and now we're going to make five offshoots of that thing it's it becomes gonna be a video game it's gonna be a movie it's gonna be a book it's gonna be a comic it's gonna be all of these things and this multimedia space where things are getting pumped out i think what's happening more and more is a lot of the things that we may have loved of the way stuff gets investigated gets pulled out right like again you just you ask a lot of questions you say a lot of things loudly and you never explore it in any great depth it's yeah. kind of circling back around to everything we've we've kind of mentioned at this point so yeah so yeah really good discussion well thank you guys for being so honest <laughs> <laughs> all right well that was a great discussion and i think you should spend some time and if you want to get into it further absolutely come join us in our discord and we can talk about it for a lot longer because we've only got so long in this podcast which brings us nicely into our third and final topic for the podcast. What have we been watching this week that's caught our eye? Kate watches about a million things, so let's start there. Gosh, that is such a loaded question because I, I've I've watched and reviewed so much recently. Um, I think the biggest thing is going to be Lord of the Rings. That that finish, it was real. I don't want to say slow because people like I think people take that the wrong way, but it's edited really badly in the first couple of in the first like four episodes so far as where they chose to cut. Um, but rewatching it like in its like entirety the way that it should have been released I think it actually delivers really well and it captures a lot of the themes that have Tolkien's themes that are so vitally important to understanding how he views um, relationships and survival and resiliency that the show just gets so well and the last three episodes have some stunning action sequences in them that I, I think everybody should really jump on it um quick question is it worth the billion dollars nothing is worth a billion dollars okay it's a lot of money to spend on a tv show we just talked about capitalism <laughs> i don't think anything is worth a billion dollars 
none of those actors should have been paid that much and none of those sets should have been that large and exuberant because it is a, a TV show. Um, there's better things to do with a billion dollars than that. Um, and then the other thing is I uh, watched Hellraiser. Um, well, I, I saw Hellraiser quite a while ago at this point, but Hellraiser is out on Hulu and that is something that I think everybody should see mainly because if you, it is very different from the original Hellraiser, but I think in very smart and unique ways in that the original Hellraiser was a look at like sexual deviancy and pleasure and what you will go to do that and to satisfy love. And then the new Hellraiser is about addiction, grief, and then ultimately choosing to live with your, uh, your choices and learning that you should live with your choices instead of trying to escape them. And, and, and Jamie Clayton absolutely kills as pinhead. She's so good. So yeah, those are those are my two things. Both really good things. So, oh, and an interview with a vampire. They finally made it very very gay the way that Anne Rice intended, and it's very good and very bloody. It's very good. Watch that too. <laughs> um, now you can go, Matt. I'm sorry. I did a rabbit hole if I went from Renovation Island, that's on Great the job. horrible, terrible network that is known as Discovery Plus. <laughs> And then from there, I was like, I want to build my own thing. And now I'm playing Two Point Campus on Game Pass. That's from Sega. That was released, I think, two months ago. It's actually a relatively new game. And it's just a, you build your own university. Because, um, you know, if you see people, rich people, try to make their own hotel, you say, hey, let's make my own university. I can do it. Um, <laughs> I cannot do it. I'm terrible. Those poor <laughs> students have nowhere to live. Oh, my God. I was going to say Renovation Island is also a very good show. That's yes. very I, 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 the best part about this whole thing was that I mentioned it and Aaron knew exactly what I want what I was watching and he had actually seen more than Kate and I have watched. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it's just one of those things that my wife puts on, but I can't help it. I'm like glued to the TV, like, oh, what are they gonna do next? I just look, can't get helped up. Look, I up. wanted to eat a, eat eat our lunch one day and I wanted to watch a show. Kate got pissy and went in the room, and so I put on this sh- and I was like, you know what, Kate's not here, I'll just find something random. And I was like, ooh, I recognize you two people, and I like islands and beaches. Click. And then I watched like three episodes, and Kate came out screaming at me going, how dare you watch something that I had no idea existed three hours ago? (laughs) And now she watches it all. It's very good. All right, well, I have been watching uh, Werewolf by Night, which probably a little after the fact by the time this podcast comes out but if you haven't watched it go watch it because it is really 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 good and kate did an amazing interview uh with the director which shines a light on kind of where he came from with the creation of a lot of this stuff it's so so good i think by this point i've watched it maybe three or four times because i just enjoyed it so much uh i also did watch and review um uh, season one of she hulk uh which i just didn't like it's just not good. Uh, but you can read my review for more thoughts on that because I just thought it was pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, I also watched Welcome to Wrexham, which had its big finale this week. Which I love that show. Anytime I can get Americans into watching soccer, it's just an absolute win for me. Uh, and this is just a nice, palatable show. Um, but it's interesting because they get into a lot of things. They they talk about... Um, hooliganism they talk about you know the economy in england as far as how football clubs are tied to some of the stuff and some of the problems that existed with wrexham as far as the stadium uh, it's good it's a lot of fun and but the real question is you said soccer is that okay 
I've been here for 15 years now. I don't know what's okay. <laughs> That's fair. So I, I switched. Between, I figured I'm talking to two Americans. I should say soccer. And also, mm-hmm. my we're going to build, we're going to build the British audience up. We can do this. Okay. I am What's American, but I am brown. Mexicans love the football. They just can't win anything. Shut up, Matt. To be fair, Mexican the Mexican kids are very, very nice as well. Very, very nice. <laughs> um, and finally, I did watch Dairy Girls, which I absolutely implore everyone, please go watch, because it's so good. It's so good. I really, really like it. Uh, set in the 90s, uh, right near the end of the uh, Northern Ireland and uh, Republic of Ireland conflict. Uh, it's really funny as well. Uh, it, it's just got a lot of nostalgia pumped into it, so it, it's just so good. I, it's its final season; it's done. Uh, the like thirty-minute episodes, and there's three seasons. You can binge through it like super quickly, and it is honestly hysterical. I I just laughed so hard. I saw a lot of my own family in it, so it's it's, it's very good. Uh, but that's it. That's our show. Uh, thank you so much for listening in. If you stayed with us for this long, we really genuinely do appreciate it. Uh, if you liked what we're doing, please, please don't forget to drop us a like, a subscri- uh, subscribe, retweet, or a re- review. The review would really help. So if you've got a couple of words to say, that would be nice. Uh, whatever we can get, we'll take. Uh, make sure to check out our site, our YouTube channel, Twitch. Uh, and if you want to keep the conversation going, you can always find us in the But Why Though Discord, chatting about the latest in pop culture nudes. That link is discord.gg slash b-u-t-w-h-y-t-h-o i'll get that button working eventually when i click it uh you can also find us on twitter and instagram at but why though pc uh pc uh kate where can the people find you if they want to check out more of your stuff you can find me at oh my Mithrandir on twitter that's where i talk about pretty much everything um i got pumpkin spice buff from chobani and that's all i needed because i like pumpkin spice uh but if you want to watch if you want to look at my anime and manga stuff uh, head over to oh my Mithrandir on instagram nice uh, and I've been your host, Aaron. You can find me at Pretty CPA on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all my writing on the But Why Those site and find me featured on some of the Twitch and YouTube reviews. And if that's not enough, you can always find me in the But Why Those Discord. Matt, how about you? I'm joining Gilmo del Toro, and I'm going to go hunt anybody who disrespects Marty. We're going to extend his life as long as possible. Mm-hmm.